The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. John Gibbons, what a beautiful balmy day it has been in Dublin today. A gorgeous 18 degrees to walk around in. End of October and no need for a coat. Where would you get it? Yeah, it's glorious weather, Matt. Um, I cast my mind back uh, to, I was watching all the college students in around city centre as I, as I came in today. And uh, I remember this time of the year, back when I was in college, tromping around in a, in a gabardine and, and whatever and and. and I had my woolly vest on as well. So changing times, that's basically in a, what we've seen here in a 30-year window, right? I'll bet you you'd have found at times in the past lovely warm weather at the end of oh, October on occasions. You get, you, we, we get the odd pet day, that's for sure. But essentially it has been super mild since uh, September. Basically, the, the weather hasn't cooled off. We haven't had an autumn yet. Now, for you and me, that's not really a big problem because you put on a jacket, you take off a jacket, you put on your, your T-shirt, you take it off again. The problem really matters for nature. All the nature... All the cycles of nature have been knocked out of whack here. Basically, things don't know what's going on. Nature relies on signals and temperature is one of the main signals uh, that tells the various natural systems what's going on and how to synchronise with one another. So one of the big climate impacts, if you like, that we're seeing is the nature going out of sync. Now, as I say, pleasant weather in Ireland, 18 degrees in Dublin. Some people saying to me today it's a little bit freaky uh, as opposed to pleasant. But leave that aside, Matt. Next week, this is into November, Areas in France are expected to breach 30 degrees centigrade. This has never happened on the instrumental record in France, 30 degrees centigrade in November. So this, again, it's the old thing. If this were happening in one place and it was once off, you'd say fair enough. But I think, to be fair, and we have covered this many times here, uh, what's happening here is on a hemispherical basis. This is literally a global uh, phenomenon. And in Ireland, I suppose, like this summer, as, as our neighbours in Britain uh, experienced the first ever four degree temperatures. We in Ireland, we got the, the, the tail end of that heat wave and we, we ended up with sort of high 20s, which again is very pleasant, not not completely off the off the charts for Ireland, but we narrowly missed a heat wave that in Britain led to thousands of premature deaths. They're simply not set up for those kind of temperatures. We had Ben at the 5 of 5 talking about this UN report, the closing window, which finds countries are falling far short of the Paris climate goals and says there's no credible pathway to keeping global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees. So we might as well give up so. No, I don't think we can give up. I think what's really important to say in these climate reports is that every fraction of a degree matters. We've, we've seen, Matt, already. We're currently globally at about plus 1.2 degrees and it's having devastating consequences. As we just described, for example, this summer China had what's described as the, the, the most extreme heatwave ever recorded on Earth. China had 70 days in where somewhere in the country had in excess of 40 degrees centigrade. Never happened before, completely off the charts. Essentially, what we're looking at here, this is weather on steroids. And we know what the steroids are. That's the danger of plus 1.2 degrees centigrade. Now, by the way, to, to understand what plus 1.2 means, that is on, across the whole Earth's surface. We, the land surface where humans live is already 1.9 degrees above pre-industrial. So this is a dramatic shift in like on a global scale and uh, as as i heard in your bulletin at five antonio guterres the un general secretary he said we must close the emissions gap before the climate catastrophe closes in on all of us these, these are incredible things i find it honestly See, there's people texting it already saying this is alarmism this is scaremongering they want me to put people on to tell you you're talking nonsense and that this un report is an exaggeration Sure. I mean, yeah, like, let's just give up journalism. Let's shut it down. And basically, they say journalism you know, is hearing both sides. 
No, of course it is. And science also, by the way, if people are interested in both sides, the ultimate arbiter of, of all sides of an argument, Matt, is the scientific process. Science has been knocking bells out of the climate uh, issue for decades, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what direction it's going. And by the way, they have absolutely nailed it. I've looked at climate projections that were drawn up in the 1980s and they basically said that by the 2020s into the 2030s, the global climate system would be destabilising unless we change direction. So the basic fundamentals of science, if you want, you can bang your head against a wall and argue with basic science. But as there's a saying, it says that, you know, the man who, who questions opinions is wise, but the man what journalism says, facts. Ross, you're left-leaning globalist scaremongers. Ah, uh, Matt. I mean, seriously. So that's what Ross you know. says. Sure. And another one says, you must be very stuck for people to put in your show and John Gibbons can only talk about his own agenda. He probably thinks that a cow grazing in the field is responsible for climate change. Okay, yeah. Um, that's a, an interesting turn of events. I feel like I've, I've wandered onto Twitter this afternoon, right? <laughs> no, okay. no, no, and luckily, no. luckily, Matt, the, the point of journalism, as you know far better than I do, is to actually filter some of the BS so that we can have a kind of a fact-based discussion. So maybe we should, we should, we should try that. Well, let's talk about giving legal rights to animals, trees and rivers. Yeah, this is a very interesting concept. Uh, that uh, It sounds, at first bat, it sounds a little, a little quirky, a little hippie. But in fact, we have countries around the world, Canada, Ecuador, Bangladesh, uh, the US, in fact, uh, and New Zealand that have already done this. And the, the basic idea here, Matt, is that um, at the moment, all the rights, if you like, in the world are appropriated to humans. We basically, we decide that we're the preeminent species and that essentially we own things. We own the earth. It's a very, if you like, a colonial type of idea. Now, once upon a time, uh, it was the law that husbands owned their wives and that men owned slaves or people owned slaves. Now, society changed and we came to recognise that people owning other people is not a good idea. What's This new law, which came through, by the way, this particular report they're referring to, came from the UK Law Society in a report titled Law in the Emerging Bioage. And essentially what it's trying to do is to redress the balance and to give fundamental rights to nature. So let me give you a simple example. Let's say you've got a river. Now, a river can't litigate for obvious reasons. So if you decide to pollute and poison a river, at the moment, the only people who can really take you on are, if you're lucky, the local council or maybe a landowner who's affected. Now, if, on the other hand, you ascribe independent legal rights to a river, to a mountain, to an ecosystem, maybe to a bog, let's say a protected bog has legal rights, that means other people can litigate to protect that bog's rights or that river's rights. Now, again, the point here is to bring the law to bear because, of course, what what we found is this human-centric view where we've effectively ignored the rights of nature. I mean, it might sound very clever and it might have made a lot of people, well, a small number of people, an awful lot of money. But ultimately, this is part of why we're, we're in the process of destroying the biosphere. And I'm sorry, that's not a lefty conspiracy. Uh, science is quite neutral on this. That we're, we're, For example, there are what are described as nine planetary boundaries, Matt, within which we have to remain in order for, for, for I suppose, the safe living conditions on Earth. Earth. To date, six of those nine planetary boundaries have been breached and penetrated. So we're already in very dangerous territory. And the purpose of this, by the way, I suppose, partly when you think about it, it's we have human rights laws, for example, against obviously against genocide and so on. And they're very, again, very much tied into humans. Uh, there's a an international push to put forward the concept of ecocide, and that is the deliberate destruction of 
full ecosystems. Now, for example, there have been efforts made to bring uh, Jair Bolsonaro to the International Criminal Court in The Hague. If we can get ecocide law on the books, people like that who knowingly set about destroying entire ecosystems. Now, you could say it's a selfish human conceit. We want the Amazon to survive because our well-being depends on it. But it's also critical. Nature has to uh, have its own rights. I'll just give you an example one that's come out from the United States in the last 24 hours. The US government has decided to list emperor penguins as endangered. Sure. So there's an example of an animal that you could say if it had legal rights given to it for humans to act on its behalf. Because we have a situation where these penguins, which live in Antarctica, I'm sure everybody's familiar with them, what they look like and how beautiful they are to watch. Tallest and largest of all the world's penguins. They're apparently at risk because of global warming. Absolutely. And we've seen this, uh, for example, in some cases, there have been fantastic successes. Um, certain species of eagles in the US achieved legal protection and have actually come back from the brink matter. This is the thing about this. The purpose of these protections is to to preserve and protect things that are absolutely unique in nature. I mean, in intact ecosystems, uh, unique species. We cannot just let these fail on our watch, if you like. And this really is where this is coming from. And as I say, I think it's a, it's very far from a, from a hippy-dippy idea that nature needs to protect, needs to be protected and we need to use legal instruments. Now, I'll give you a simple example. Right now, companies... PLCs, they have legal rights. So a company has what's called legal personhood. So a company, for example, can buy property. A company can 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 uh, sell property. It can engage in many of what we consider to be the legal rights of a person. That's why we have companies that have existed for 100 years, that they have their own legal personhood. And it's a very strange world we live in where we recognise the rights of a corporation to exist, yet we don't recognise the rights of a mountain. Has Junior Minister Oisín Smith given free reign to vandals to actually attack famous paintings and other things if they want to say, oh, we're doing it because it's climate activism. Yeah, Oisin Smith made these remarks uh, to a group of students, um, uh, climate activists. And Let bit, me read the okay. yeah. I see people throwing tins of beans at paintings with glass in them or whatever. That's a really effective thing to do. It draws attention. So he's endorsing it. I think that's correct. And uh, he was getting a right old going over on on, uh, on talk radio this afternoon. I, I tuned into some of this that. This is Liveline. This is Liveline. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, yeah, this uh, particular agenda there, very, very strongly articulated, let's say. And sure, yeah, you know, let's all beat up on Oisin Smith. What he's saying out loud. So are you condoning it? Am I absolutely condoning it? Uh, in what good does it do? What good does it do to take works of art and to target them to attack? I, mean, I even saw yesterday in the UK, in London, there was um, a car showroom where there was a bunch of anarchists decided to attack, spray painting the whole thing. And I thought the irony of that, because do they not realise that the spray paint would be a derivative of oil? If... Uh, you refer to them as anarchists. Are these the, ju- the Just Stop Oil people? Yeah. They generally use water-based paints. Do they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And generally you'll find that the paints that they use, they wash off. They're, they're pretty good about it. I've seen that with Extinction Rebellion. You might remember a year or two ago, they put uh, fake blood in front of Doll Aaron and for the protest, for the picture, and afterwards they washed it off again. So I suppose, Matt, it comes down to this. But sorry, right? Does it really actually help the cause to go around and to vandalise and potentially damage works of art? There are enough people who believe in what you're saying, who are sympathetic to it for all the people who do not want to engage with it and who want this false equivalence of balance or whatever they say. 
But if you actually have people taking seriously the anti-global warming agenda, right, anti-global warming, do you really need then to also have further attention brought to it by acts of vandalism? Yeah, and I suppose let's let's refine our term vandalism because we need to be a little bit careful here, right? The Van Gogh painting and the other painting, neither of them were damaged. The activists who threw the, the items at those paintings knew that the paintings were protected by glass. There was no damage done to them. They were symbolic acts. The fact, by the way, a week later we're still talking about soup. In fact, if I said the word soup to you, you'd know exactly what I meant. What it proves to you, Matt, is they've been extremely effective. They cause no criminal damage. They've generated worldwide publicity. Now, you might say, well, why don't they go down and protest outside of Shell? Why don't they stand outside Exxon and protest? Climate protesters have been doing it for years. And guess what? The media isn't interested. Nobody shows up. So they do these stunts. Nobody shows up. So they come up with a better idea. And that is, let's, OK, everybody's heard of Van Gogh. It's very famous. If we do that all around the world, the media will light up and say, oh, my God, Van Gogh. And they'll be on the radio and they'll be having these conversations. So in that sense, it's tremendously effective. And if I were to go back 100 years, Matt, and let's say we were sitting in the 1910 or 1915 version of this studio, right, you might well be decrying the appalling criminal behaviour of those suffragettes. Would they not go home and bake the, the tea for their families, right? There they are out blowing up post boxes, setting fire to things. I heard one of them threw herself under the king's horse. Where will these anarchists finish? Next thing they'll want the vote. One final thing. Um, I know we talked about this last year and I wasn't going to bring it up, but I see you have again attracted the Twitter mob by giving out about Halloween decorations. I know. I'm almost at the end of my, my tether on the whole Halloween uh, subject. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's the, 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 the call from the wild, Matt, to maybe just throttle back the tat a little bit. You know, you've, you've got kids, I've got kids, nobody wants to be the Grinch that says you can't do this, you can't do that. On the other hand, I think Halloween has been really colonised by, the, by the, the marketeers, you know, flogging single-use junk and have fun, right? But maybe find ways, creative ways of doing it that don't, for example involve throwing uh, plasticised cobwebs in top of the branches. Give the, give, give the birds a break. John Gibbons, thank you very much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, F-